Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. It's the end of season awards on the Pod with a big twist. If you can't pick Erling Haaland for any of the categories. That's what our experts, former Premier League star Mark Schwarzer and former Matilda Amy Duggan have to do as we give out the gongs. We've also got the end of the WSL season and a look ahead to a couple of cup finals on the continent. I'm your host, Teo Pelizzeri. This is the Optus Sport Football Podcast. Let's get in to the Pod. It is time to put a bow on the Premier League season. We are joined by former Premier League star Mark Schwarzer. Schwartzy, great to see you again. Hello, how are you? Very good. And Amy Duggan, former Matilda. Uh, Firstly, your impressions on the final day of the season, Amy, because you didn't join us for our Instant Reaction podcast on Monday morning. So how did it leave you feeling to see one of your pre-season predictions of Leicester to get relegated come to fruition after 38 games? Well, I wasn't happy for Leicester. Just because I was right doesn't make me happy. That would be in my real life, you know, happy wife, happy life. But, um, you know, I did I did really feel for Leicester. I really felt for Leeds as well. Um, but this is the game that we play. You've got the whole season to make it count. And I think the cool thing about the season was that um, although City wrapped it up again, uh, the fight went, you know, close to the end of the season. And I think it's always interesting when you've got teams tussling and, uh, you know, for me, very happy to see Manchester United where they finished considering the start of the season. Um, and also happy to see if, you know, a few surprise packets in there too, like where, where Villa finished and where Brighton and Hove finished. So overall, I think it was one of the most exciting seasons we've probably seen. There were some awesome goals. I think, you know, Harlan's taken out every record he possibly can. And, um, and, you know, it left me happy. It's a little, I'm a little sad it's over too. To be honest, a little sad it's over. Well, it's not totally over because there's still an FA Cup final to look forward to for Manchester United against Manchester City. And uh, we are going, you mentioned Erling Haaland and all his amazing awards. We're going to get into our own Pod Premier League end of season awards. But there's a twist. You can't pick Erling Haaland. Amy, just how difficult, before we get into the categories, just how difficult did this make your job picking these award winners, knowing that Haaland was off the board for all of them? Yeah, well, I thought it was going to be a five-minute job when I opened it up. I was like, no worries, here we go. Haaland from top to bottom, Haaland in my team of the season. Actually, I'm going to put him in three positions because I think he's capable. Uh, and then ultimately, I read the rules. And so here we are. This will make it interesting. Well, let's get into the first one, which is the player of the year, but you can't pick Erling Harland. So, Mark Schwarzer, where are you starting for your Premier League Player of the Year? Um, uh, Erling Harland. <laughs> 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 I mean, I know it's a, it's a, it's a shoe in, isn't it? I mean, everyone would say exactly the same thing, wouldn't they? If you picked Erling Harland, so it's understandable that we're going away from it. And the, you know, the ridiculous thing about it is, I mean, Harry Kane finished on thirty Premier League goals, and I'm not even thinking about Harry Kane as Player of the Season, right? So. I mean, scoring 30 Premier League goals in a season, take Harling out of it, you would kind of go, hang on, that's like player of the season material, right? Especially where Tottenham finished. 
Absolutely, but he's not popping out in my head. I'm not thinking, yeah, it's got to be Harry Kane. The person I'm thinking of straight after Erling, uh, Erling Haaland is uh, uh, Martin Odegaard. That's, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking from Arsenal. That's who I'm thinking is, is player of the season based on you know his age, his captain, what Arsenal did this season. And um, yeah, I'd give it to him. Well, you know what? Schwartzy great minds must think alike because that's exactly <laughs> where I went as well. And, and I do back up what you said um, about Harry Kane. I, I almost feel like all those goals have gone to waste because we won't um, really give him the kudos he deserves after such a fantastic season because this you know, blonde mane Norwegian man just took over the entire league. But I also went for Odegaard um, you know, at 24 years years of age to hold that team at the top of the ladder for such a long time um, and to score as many goals and have as many assists as he did I think he was really crucial to their run and um, and that's who I went with as well although I did uh, battle a little bit between you know KDB and Jack Grealish and just giving everything to Man City but I just I can't do it can't do it no I couldn't do it couldn't do it all right so Martin Odegaard gets the nod there biggest overachieving team you are spoilt for choice here Amy I'll let you pick first oh, I made this, this one was easy for me um Brighton and Hove Albion uh at the beginning of the season no one saw them finishing where they did especially with the squad that they started with and then of course you know with all their ups and downs during the middle of the season when Potter left so I, I just think Brighton Hove Albion hats off to you I like that one. I think that's a really, really. I mean, that was my first club that came to my head, and obviously because Amy said it now, I'm gonna, I'm gonna back you and say yes, <laughs> but I'm gonna go with Aston Villa just because you said uh, Brighton and Hove Albion. If you, if you went the other way and went Villa, I would have gone Brighton. Um, I think what uh, Unai Emery has done since he's arrived at the club, off the back of the debacle, how bad they were, how poorly positioned they were, they seemed in chaos after Steven Gerrard left the club. Um, and, uh, and and not because he's left, because because of how he left it. And I think uh, I think uh, Unai Emery has done an incredible job of turning uh, Aston Villa into a European club. That's your coach of the year, right there. You just jumped ahead a little bit, didn't you? No, no, no I didn't. <laughs> we'll talk didn't. about it. No, in no, a no, I've maybe thrown. A, I've might. I may have been. I, I may have thrown a curveball. I find it incredible. Brentford finished ninth, newly promoted Fulham finished 10th, and neither of them were your choice. Just shows how many teams outdid their expectations. But what about then? The biggest flop. And uh, firstly, biggest flop team. Who under-delivered? Chelsea. Chelsea, Chelsea, Chelsea. I don't even think you can debate this. Like, too many coaches, too many great players, too much money to fall that short. End of story. Uh, Look, it's hard to argue really is hard to argue they were horrendous but if you think about it how many plays they signed getting rid of Tuchel replaced with Potter it just seemed never to be going anywhere I kind of this season I kind of expected Chelsea to be bad only Change because of that let's not forget the the Abramovich situation surely yeah. that's a force majeure yeah. of some sort yeah and I, I just think it's a classic example of a group of people coming in with so much money and having so little idea of what they're doing. <laughs> what a horrible um, problem to have. <laughs> and, oh my God, um, but just wasteful. Um, but I, I'm also going to, I'm also going to give a very, very good, uh, a very uh, strong, um, uh, what would you say? Um, dishonorable mention. Dishonorable mention to Leicester City. Yeah. Because they were horrendous as well, considering where they've been over the last couple of years, 15, 16, winning the, the Premier League, 
uh, title, winning, being FA Cup winners. We're in a European Cup semi-final last season. Um, and they're relegated. So the fall from grace, possibly possibly slightly greater than... I mean, it has to be. They got relegated. So yeah, it is a bigger fall of grace than I think Chelsea has in this last 12 months. We'll stay with biggest flop, but for players. Doesn't have to be a new signing. It could be a player that was already in the league. Amy, who was your biggest disappointment of the individuals? Uh, this list was way longer than I thought it was going to be. It was quite funny. I thought, oh, oh so everyone's sure everyone's in the gun, are they? I love it. <laughs> it's not everyone. There's a couple of big names. I, I think um, uh, Richarlson, as much as he was in the headlines for Tottenham, you know, and he scored a few goals, none of them actually counted. So that that made it quite difficult. I think Jao Felix was an interesting one because obviously the red card and then some other timeout on the sideline. So I was like, well, but I think at the end of the day, um, because of the way, and this is probably a funny one because he, he came out okay, but at the end of the day, I'm like, for the money, surely not. And I'm going to go with Darwin Nunes because I feel like where the team finished, his overall performances across the season and how much money was invested in him in the first place, you just, yeah, just can't. He should have probably gone and played for Chelsea. No, I think someone beats him. I think someone, for the amount of money they paid and the expectation and the weight on his shoulders, and he only just fits, he only just makes it for this season. Um, and that's obviously Cristiano Ronaldo because I think he's been the biggest flop, full stop. Yeah, okay, I, so I will pay that. We, we've forgotten him a little bit, haven't we? Because we, it seems like it was an age ago that he left. Um, but for everything he is and was or was and yeah, he was, not is. Um, and what he still thought he was. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm going to say Cristiano Ronaldo, biggest flop. What about the best signing? But uh, as per the rules of the game, you can't pick Erling Haaland. So, Schwartzy, you can go first on this one. Paulinho from, from uh, Fulham. I think he has been exceptional for Fulham. So you talked about Fulham not getting any recognition for what they did this season. Um, I think can't underestimate how big a signing he has been for Fulham this season and I'll be surprised if he stays at Fulham in the summer um, I would be very surprised if there's not a list of clubs who will be lining him up because I think he I think he's a really really good player and under underrated in, in a lot a lot of ways just on that Schwartzy um, William would have to be up there as well as one yeah. of the most unexpected success stories of the season Unexpected success, yes, but still not the... I mean, look, had an enormous impact, definitely. Um, Pereira as well at Fulham. I mean, three players, I'll tell you, that I think have made all the difference and they're they're absolutely wonderful signings from Marco Silva. Uh, uh, Phenomenal. And I think um, he told me many eight days before the start of the season, um, Marco Silva and talked to him about very much that, the recruitment and where they were and how they see the season. He said... He was hoping still to bring in four or five players before the start of the season, certainly in defence, and that's end, ended up what happened. And I, I, he, I asked him about Paulinho, and he talked about him, and, and he was he was kind of he was quite guarded in the way he he spoke about him, um, but you could see he was very excited about him, and he spoke very very highly of him as a player and how good a player he he, he is, and how much of an impact he is expecting him to have this season for Fulham. It's it's really nice that you went um, defensive, by the way, on a couple of those uh, moves. I was waiting for the whole goalkeeper list to have come out this morning, so I'm, I'm proud of you, Schwartzy. <laughs> um, this one was, was again, a, a toss-up for me across a couple of the middle teams, and ultimately my decision lands with a team that finished in the top four, believe it or not. At the beginning of the season, 
Um, I actually thought the best buy was going to be Jesus, Gabriel Jesus, because, um, you know, being let out and then, and then signing. And he probably would have been higher up the list for me had he not been injured for such a long period of time. So uh, I've gone with a defender. I'm going with uh, Sven Botman from Newcastle. And I picked him because of where Newcastle finished, but also just uh, when he came in, I think he settled really quickly and he, he, he built a, a great relationship with Shah and he's, um, well, he's a massive man. So he was very good, very good in the air and also was able to help Newcastle, I think, with their quick transitions, like their counterattacks. So I think Newcastle had one of the best defences in the league for most of the season, um, and I think only till a couple of weeks ago. And for 35 mil in the summer, that's my best signing. All right. Now, instead of best young player, which is, is often a contentious award because players can be in the league for seasons and still win best young player, we've framed it as breakout player. So a new or a previously unheralded player who broke out and caught your eye this season. Amy, who did you have as your breakout player of the season? Again, I had a list, um, and now you've mentioned William. I'm like, mm, maybe it should have been on there as well. Um, I ended up, uh, Alex Ganacho was my pick before the season. Of course, I'm very heavily Manchester United skewed, as you know. That's where, <laughs> where I see it. Um, I thought Jacob Ramsey from Villa deserves a... Um, uh, you know, a, a, an honourable mention in your words, Teo. But ultimately, I've gone with Casado at Brighton. I'm. I mean, maybe it's a little bit controversial. Maybe it's a little bit. Uh, it's maybe not fair to, to to put him in this category. Breakout player. I'm going to say Jack Grealish. I think he was bang average last season, uh, and I was I was a little bit surprised. I, I, well, I was actually very very surprised that he's obviously adapted. He's obviously got his head down and obviously has really kind of embraced it and learnt and absorbed. And I think he's been a phenomenal player this season. I, I, I was kind of expecting that he would possibly be leaving Man City either this season or, or the, like as in end of last season or even this season. I really did. I, I thought he would be struggling. And also there's a, there was a couple of bits and pieces that you hear that maybe off the field hasn't been kind of the uh, fitting the, 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 the kind of um, the parameters of what they expect at Manchester City. But he seems to have pulled his head right in. And I think he's had a phenomenal season. Wow. Okay. Uh, I like the pick and I like the rationalization though let's go to manager of the season Schwartz you did flag that you had a, a bit of an interesting pick for that so uh, reveal all well I mean look Unai Emery has been phenomenal but he came in in January and, and one, you could argue I mean my argument is kind of the other way he's only in a short period of time so actually what he's done has been more remarkable in a shorter period of time however I'm still going to put him as an, an honourable second just ahead of Roy Hodgson in third and I'm going to go with Roberto De Zerbi. Uh, Roy Hodgson was just a joke. Obviously, he's had a phenomenal impact at Crystal Palace. Let's not beat around the bush. Uh, for, for an old man, he was unbelievable. Uh, Roberto De Zerbi, I think, um, for me, gets manager of the season. And again, that is probably, that could be in, in a week's time, 10 days' time, absolutely ridiculous. Because obviously, Pep Guardiola could go on and win the treble and... What a silly comment that would be then to say that Roberto Deserbi should be manager of the season. Oh, 
but n- n- not in the context of the Premier League season, though. That's probably why it's best we're doing it now, so you yeah. don't have the treble to cloud your judgment. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Uh, like, I uh, I pick a top three, and then I try and whittle them down, and, you know, I use a spreadsheet, Schwartzy, and I work out all the numbers, and, um, you know, Deserbi was uh, right up there. Emery, of course, had um, the, like you said, only came in halfway through, but also had the... Um, Emery also had the the fourth best coaching goals per game record, so there was you know there's a lot of push there for him, and I am surprised you didn't go there by the way. Um, Eddie Howe, I think also deserves a, a, a mention. I thought he's had a great season. Um, Deserby and Pep, and this is where I like I really struggled between these two because I completely agree with everything that you've said, um, and I think the side has done amazing. But at the end of the day, I, I can't go past a coach in a season that, um, you know, chases down Arsenal. And I know Arsenal did most of the capitulating themselves, but put the pressure on to chase down Arsenal and and take it out. I just, I can't go past Guardiola for the fact that they finished on top. And I think, uh, you know, a lot of the genius behind what they do, even signing Erling Haaland has has to go back to him. All right, Amy, we'll stay with you for goal of the season. Yes. How many great goals did I get to watch, by the way? And uh, if you have time at home, jump on our app because there are some bangers out there. And you might think that the goal of the season would come from Haaland, even though it's not allowed to. Actually, his goals, um, they're not that spectacular. There's a couple of good ones in there, but most of them, you know, he's the tapping king, isn't he? Um I didn't go for a moment which meant a lot and see Teo, I really needed some more boundaries here, right? Do you want a moment where it's like 2-2 and someone scores in the 101st minute? Like, where are we going? We can't really do that. But anyway, um, I went with Nunes, Tielmans. Oh, my gosh. Both of those first time, amazing timing strikes, both contenders for me. But, in fact, I went with a 19-year-old Julio Inesco against Man City because the strike was premeditated and awesome. Hey, <laughs> if it's a goal, you can pick it. That's what the parameters are. <laughs> Mark Schwartz, what was your goal of the season? Um, I'm going to go with Yuri Tillemans' strike. I think, uh, yeah, right up there with being an unbelievable goal. And like like Amy was saying, there's so many goals to pick from throughout the course of the season. I don't know where you, where you start or where you stop. Um, and and I think Yuri Tillman's one was was phenomenal. That was the one against Wolves, yeah. Yes. Yeah, it was beautiful. Okay, now the moment of the season. Uh, it can be something that was a moment in the Premier League. Just anything related to the Premier League. It doesn't have to be a moment in a game necessarily, because some of the biggest moments, and I won't preempt your answers, involve things that happened off the field or to the side of the field or press conferences or what have you. So, Amy Duggan, what wins your Premier League moment of the season? I went off the field um, just for fun. Uh, I loved Klopp doing his hammy celebrating. That was a cracker for me. <laughs> um, I think you can't go past Ronaldo leaving, as Schwartzy said earlier. Uh, but my favourite photographic, I think, moment, because it caught it right in the moment of the season, was uh, Tommy Tuchel and um, Conte almost headbutting each other, pushing their heads against each other. And I just thought that is such a depiction of what this sport is about. It's the battle on the field. It's the battle off the field. It's the passion. It's the fire. It's um, it's all those things encapsulated in a moment. I mean, it's hard to believe. That feels like it was five years ago, Amy. I know, so much I, know. Has, so I had much to check it was this season. I had so to check it was this season. So much has changed in the league, yeah. Mark, what's what wins for you? Well, I, I'm, I'm sort of torn between the Ronaldo walk-off and the Conte meltdown. 
um, at the press conference, I thought both were uniquely incredible for their own reasons. Obviously, Ronaldo for me was the, I don't know, it was the, the realization that that his time has to be finished now at Manchester United. Um, finally, they've got a manager who's who's strong enough and big enough and willing enough to 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 make that call and 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 do the final push. Um, and then obviously with Conte, please sack me melt uh, meltdown at the press conference. <laughs> um, but before you do, I'm just going to give you everything um, and tell you how this club is. Um, Oh gosh, uh, I'm going to go with the Conte meltdown. Yeah, I, I, I think that is incredibly unique. We've seen players walk off before. We've seen players, um, you know, spit the dummy and, and run off down the down the tunnel or, or whatever. And to be fair, I didn't expect any different from from Ronaldo. Conte probably didn't expect any differently either. But it was brilliant listening to it, and it was just refreshing in so many ways. But then, and and the the honesty of it. Um, and, and he just basically said everything that pretty much everybody had felt and thought about Tottenham. Um, and I think he summed it up really, really well. But obviously, there was absolutely zero chance of coming back from that. And, I, and obviously, he's not silly enough. He knew exactly what he was doing. So Antonio Conte features in both of your moments of the season. I think it would be remiss not to mention the Reese Nelson goal against Bournemouth. All the emotion of uh, feeling like you're going to win the title, but without the trophy at the end of the season, unfortunately for Arsenal fans. But it was still a phenomenal game and a phenomenal moment. All right. Now, Amy, you've, uh, you've done the homework on this, so I reckon we can get this out rapid fire. Team of the season but we can only pick one player from each <sighs> Premier League club. And that makes it a far tougher task than you might have first anticipated. So, um, Mark Schwarzer, I'll give you veto right. Amy, lead, lead us off. Please. Okay. All right. So, I think, okay, you'll agree with me, but but I will be, I, I do need to be led by you, Schwarzer, especially in the first decision, because when you're putting together a team of the season, it only takes one player from uh, each team, and I only did the eleven, by the way, not the bench. So there are some teams that miss out. I'm looking, I'm looking at this uh, going. There's no Fulham, which is scary to start with. But anyway, uh, also, you know, when there's more than one great player from each team, and then what formation do you run? Because when you're trying to fit Harlan into a formation and build a team around him, it's very, very difficult. And I think, hey, Amy, it's okay. They're not listening. They're not going to be upset you, that you've left them out. <laughs> It's actually hard to work out what formation to run because uh, when you put Harlan there, of course, you don't have KDB, you don't have Grealish. There's a whole lot of other issues to deal with. How awesome would it be to be a manager of a Premier League All-Stars team, by the way? Schwartzy, you will determine for me here the the uh, the two final positions because uh, both my goalkeepers and uh, one of my striking pairs come from Villa and Liverpool. So are you going Martinez or Allison in goal? Because this will determine if I take Watkins or Salah. Uh, Martinez. All right, so we've got Martinez in goal, and that's our Villa player. Okay, Amy, keep going. Yeah, now this, this, this bit's easy, right? Trippier. There's like Newcastle. You can't, There's you our can't Newcastle player. Around there. Okay. Yeah. Uh, in the centre, we're going... Uh, let me go Stupian on the other side for Bright, from Brighton. Yeah. Let's go Ben Mee from Brentford in the centre. I like that. Okay, yep. Yeah, yeah. Actually, I thought he was, um, you know, one of the the best throughout the year. And if you're looking at signings, he's probably a good one too to to take a look at. But anyway, 
Ah, this next one was hard because I had to leave out a lot of players that I wanted to put in there, and I've gone with Mark uh, Gihar from Crystal Palace. Okay, Mark, Mark Gihar, yep. Yep. I uh, have to put Casemiro in there, who, by the way, was the signing of the season for Manchester United. Okay, uh, there's our man U player then. Yep, Declan Rice in the centre with him. Okay, West Ham off the board, yep. Odegaard, because he's our player, you know, our player besides Haaland. He'll, he'll be our attacking midfielder. Looks like a pretty good team so far, Amy. Yeah, I'm, I'm proud of it. I'm proud of it. it took me a lot of work. Um, I have gone with two nines. I, I've got to go with the two top scorers, obviously. You, you've got to put Harry Kane in there and you've got to put Haaland in there. And I couldn't, I couldn't fathom leaving either one of them out of this team because uh, if I was setting up a proper three up front, obviously this is not going to happen. But uh, And then because we put Martinez in goal and Alisson got an honourable mention on the bench, I'm taking Salah. All right, so Mark Schwarzer, I'll give you veto power just to re- recap the team as it stands at the moment. Martinez in goal, backline, uh, me and Gahey in the middle, Estepinion and Trippier, our fullbacks, Casemiro, Declan Rice and Odegaard as our midfield, and then up front, Harry Kane, Erling Haaland and Mo Salah. So there's a few teams, a few teams not featured there, which gives us a little bit of flexibility. Uh, is there a, a veto you'd like to make? Yeah, Paulinho, I'm going to put Paulinho in there instead of Declan Rice. I know that's a big call, but yeah, I'm going to do that. Um, you got Trippier, yeah, I absolutely agree with that. Who else? Me, Ben, me. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm happy with that. I, I'm going to go with that. I'm happy with that as well. So, jeez, oh, so I'm only one proud is of myself. <laughs> Well, hang on. So we don't we don't have a single Chelsea player in there then. Who? Come on. Well, I mean who? they did finish they did finish twelfth. They did finish above half the league. Yeah, but who? Yeah, nah. Tell me a Chelsea player that comes out of the season with any <laughs> co- sort of kudos or any credit. Is right, there no, anyone? Uh, no one from Wolves. No one from Bournemouth. No one from Forest. No one from Everton. And obviously, no one from the three relegated teams. No. No. Because three relegated teams. I, are I relegated, tried to aren't pick they? from I tried to pick from the top from the top of the the table as well, but being you know, open, being open to a few others. The West Ham's probably, you know. All right. So, Amy, are you, for our final team, are you happy with Mark Schwartz tipping out Declan Rice and putting in Palinia from Fulham? Schwartzy, <laughs> you've got to pick the goalkeeper and the centre midfielder. Yeah, um, that's okay. You pick the rest. You want to also, you want to also pick the captain? No, you pick the rest. No, no, that's fine. You can. I'll no, let you pick the fine. captain. That's fine. Like, honestly, I'm okay with that. Um, any of our listeners will know that he's one-sided and had to at least change something to make it his own team like every coach does when they come in to take over. So, you know, Schwartzy, if you want to discover someone, that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're, we're nearly done with our Premier League awards then. That was our team of the season, but only allowed to pick one player from each team. Last one of the 17 surviving teams, who is the worst equipped to avoid relegation next season? Basically, what I'm asking is, who needs the most transformative transfer window over summer to avoid relegation next season? I'm going to go with pretty simple one, I think, Bournemouth. I think Bournemouth Ooh. need... They, I think they need more. Like, I think they need quite a few more to, to make sure... I mean, look, I think they've had a remarkable season, but they're fortunate enough that, that the four teams below them were so poor. They only finished on 39 points. Is that right, Bournemouth? So they, they're kind of around that traditional amount that could go down, but they survived. I, I mean, look, Everton do as well. There's no doubt about it. But I, I just think Bournemouth, are, they did remarkably well staying in. But they, I think that second season syndrome is, is a real big problem for them. I went with fellow almost relegated on the last day of the season for the second time side in Everton. I, I think you can't. Uh, it's almost third time lucky. It'll be if they uh, if they have a season again like they've had for the past 
too. So the teams that are in the competition, I have to go Everton. But actually, when I thought about this, Teo, I didn't realize the um, the criteria was the 17. So I actually think Luton Town um, is in a bit of trouble. Like, I think absolutely amazing story. It's almost like Wrexham and I want to follow it. I wish they'd make a Netflix series on this one, including how they're going to not go through people's backyards to get in a stadium. Um but it's almost for them like starting from scratch. And I think that's what will make this journey so, so good and so likable to many fans. I think it doesn't matter if you go for a top tier team, you'll be um, you'll be following them. All right. That brings us to the end of our Premier League season awards. But there was a big appointment, Chelsea. They did finally uh, get pen to paper from Mauricio Pochettino and talking about big summer transfer windows, doesn't he have quite the task ahead of him? We are going to put on our Poch masks and we're going to play a little game of keep or sell. And uh, it might be a little bit tough to find buyers for some of these players. They might just have to release them on free transfers. But we'll go through this rapid fire because there are so many names that Chelsea may need to make difficult decisions on. So, uh, Schwarzer, Amy, uh, here we go. We are Poch, keep or sell, Kepper, Aretha Balaga. I'm keeping Kepper and getting rid of Mendy. <laughs> You've already jumped the gun. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, I would, I would say, I'd do the same. I'd keep Kepper. All right, and uh, then Mendy. We'll, we'll do him next. Gone. Gone. Yeah, I think you need to sell him. Yeah. Tiago yeah. Silva. I'm keeping him, but he's on his last warning. Yeah, I'm keeping him as well. N'Golo Kante. Keep. I'd. You know what? This really pains me. I think they have to let him go because oh. his injuries. He's just he's he's played like four games and, and it's like it's two three seasons in a row now. I I just don't think they can keep carrying him. Um, as much as I love him, I I think he's phenomenal, but I I think they've got to I think they've got to move on. Mateo Kovacic gone. Yep, gone. Pierre Emerick Aubameyang gone. Gone. Christian Pulisic gone. <laughs> Listen to me, I'm just getting rid of the old team. Gone. Yeah, we've got some momentum up then. <laughs> Joao Felix. Well, he's already going, gone. isn't he? They've already said they're yeah, not. Yeah, he's gone. It's, it's in the news today that they're not taking his option, are they? So yeah. he's got to go in as well. No U-turns there. Ruben Loftus-Cheek. Gone. Yep, it's time for, for Ruben to move on. I think it's time. I, I, look, if Frank was still manager, he'd still keep playing him, but I don't think I don't think Poch will necessarily play him. Trevor Chalaber. Stay. Yep, young player. Still could still be very much a, a squad player, I think, and be, be, be called upon if needed. Raheem Sterling. Stay. He needs a strong coach like this. This is more for Raheem than he is for Poch. You're trying to sell it to me, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm going to go with the benefits out. I'm going to give him another season. Armando Brozier. Go. I'm going to keep him as a squatty. Mason Mount. Stay. Yep, keep. Dennis Sicaria. Depends who else we buy, but I'm going to keep him for now. I'm, I'm a big get fan. out in the summer. I'm a big fan of him, but obviously something's happened and, and he's not, um, for whatever reason, he hasn't been playing recently, but I'm a big fan of him. I think he's a good player. Hakim Ziyech. Gone. I'm a fan of Hakim, but he's gone. He's gone. He's well, he, go. he nearly went in January, so you, you're not you're not giving him a reprieve now. Yeah, no, he's got to go, yeah. Connor Gallagher. I think he'll go too if the reports are right. Yeah, I, I, think, he needs, I think he needs to go. I think he needs to go to go and become a regular somewhere. Because um, I don't think Chelsea is for him. If there are any suitors, given his wage, Kaladu Koulibaly. I'm keeping him. 
No, I'm, I'm letting him go. I, I, I think they, they bought him probably two or three years too late. Kai Havertz. Ooh. Kai's going to go for the money. See you later. I'm keeping him. Another one Ooh. that might be a little bit difficult to move, Mark Kukurea. Gone. I'm going to keep Kukurea as well. At, at any at any price, Schwartzy, even if you have to eat a, a big loss on how much they spent on him? Yeah, uh, look, that, that's always... A, I mean, look, we're just talking about go, keep or go. We're not talking about any prices here. Okay. We're keep or go. If we can get rid of him, I'm going. Go. <laughs> Fair enough. All right. Cesar Azpilicueta. He's on the market for me. He's like uh, Zakaria. I'm going to I'm gonna keep him for now, but but you want to watch out because summertime is, is coming around quick. No, I think Aspi, mate, he's been an unbelievable servant for the club. He's been brilliant. But I think it's time for him to move on. I watched the game against Man United as well. He, at times, looked like he was going in reverse. Ben Chilwell. Uh, you can't, I, just don't, like, I just don't think you can get rid of Ben Chilwell. I think, you know, you, no, you have I'd to keep, keep him well. for culture and the club and just his service. And, yeah, he's just part of the furniture now. And to finish, three that have been on loan, any chance you want them back, Ethan Ampadu, Callum Hudson-Odoi or Romelo Lukaku. I... Said Hudson Odai can go because he hasn't produced any goals. Well, they all really haven't done great there, but especially him. Um, I'd like to keep Lukaku for a little bit. I think, yeah, look, I, I, again, Ethan Ampadu, I don't think he's of Chelsea's level. I, look, I think he's a good player, but I don't think he's that level. Uh, Hudson Odoi, I don't know why they didn't sell him to buy in when they had a chance to back before he re signed his new deal, and he's never lived up to it got to go uh Lukaku certainly hasn't lived up to it however he yeah, can score goals there. and I, I don't this would be this is the interesting thing now is the appointment of Pochettino and how that's going to affect potentially Lukaku coming back or not well it's one heck of a task that's ahead of Poch we've just had a crack at it and as you can see they are in for a monster transfer window over summer stay with us here on the Gagan pod when we come back a bit of continental football looking ahead to some cup finals as well that you can see on Optus Sport and we'll get into women's football it's that time of the year your vacation is coming up you can already hear the beach waves feel the warm breeze relax and think about work you really really want it all to work out while you're away Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Welcome back to the Gegen Pod. We've got Mark Schwarzer and Amy Duggan in the pod with us today. Let's take a look at La Liga because six teams can go down on the final day. One of Valladolid, Celtic, Almeria, Valencia, Getafe and Cadiz will be the unlucky team that is going down along with Elche and Espanyol. That's coming up on Monday morning. There is one La Liga team that has a very important task prior to then. Thursday morning is the Europa League final, Sevilla against Roma. Mark Schwarzer, is it as simple as saying Sevilla in the final for the seventh time? They will win the Europa League slash UEFA Cup for the seventh time. Well, it's it's called the Sevilla Europa League Cup, isn't it? I mean, like, honestly, they are We've got to win something, Schwartzy. Yeah, they're just unbelievable in, in Europe, aren't they? They're, they're phenomenal. I mean, they've had a they've had a bad season for their for their um their standards, obviously. And they, they, they did remarkably well in the second half of the season. Um Julian Lapoteki, who who was brilliant for them. 
lost his job. Uh, they were in relegation, massive relegation fight, and in the end, they they, they made it quite comfortably. Um, look, you're a brave person to bet against Sevilla, but I'm going to bet against them only because Jose Mourinho is coaching AS Roma. And I believe in Jose. Well, he would become, what a story that'll be, hey, because oh. he will become one of the most decorated coaches ever should he pick this up. Um, Sevilla's my team in La Liga, only because I couldn't pronounce her name properly when I first um, first started following the league. So <laughs> it got the Aussie interpretation. They become mine. <laughs> That's it. And, you know, they're red. It's hard to, to argue with that. So... Uh, I'm going, come on, Sevilla, slightly better form than Roma heading into this one and certainly, you know, more recently, but um, it'll be a great game. Now, another cup final, which is coming up live and exclusive on Optus Sport, is the DFB Pokal, 4am on Sunday morning. It's RB Leipzig, the defending champions, up against Eintracht Frankfurt. Let's go to Mark Schwarzer for a prediction on this one. Mark, will it be Leipzig back-to-back, or do you see Frankfurt being able to win this cup final, the last piece of silverware of the German season? I Yeah, look, I think RB Leipzig are favourites to win it. Um, Eintracht Frankfurt obviously won the Europa League last season. Um, they, their Bundesliga season was just okay uh, for their standards. But, uh, you know, taking consideration they've made it to uh, the final as well of, of the Cup. You know, sometimes that, that has a bit, a bit to play in it. But I think, I think overall, I think Leipzig are favourites. So I'm going to go with Leipzig to win it and retain it. It's time to switch gears now because the women's football correspondent, writer, expert for Optus Sport, Isabel Coots, is making her Gegen Pod debut to talk about the final day of the WSL season with Amy Duggan. So, Izzy, it's great to have you on the Gegen Pod. Hello. Hello. How's everybody doing? Well, I'd like to know how you're doing because, of course, it was a late night on Saturday night into Sunday morning with six WSL games all going at the same time. So bring us up to speed. We know that Chelsea won for the fourth consecutive season, but tell us how they did it. I think the way that they did that was obviously just the depth in their squad. They've had a few injuries along the way. Um, Everyone, they had a bit more of a mixed bag this season, it seemed like, especially at the start with the Liverpool loss. So on Sunday, it was all about um, getting those right and making sure that uh, Emma Hayes had built the squad so that they could fill any gaps that were there. And there were no gaps with Penel Harder back and um, Magda Eriksson's last game. So it all just came together and 3-0. Amy, you were in the studio for Optus Sport. It's not a surprise that Sam Kerr was the hero on the final day of a WSL league season, as has been the case in previous campaigns. But was there a sense of inevitability to this or was there just a little bit of doubt because uh, Reading, of course, had to play for their lives to avoid relegation? Yeah, I, I don't think there was ever going to be any doubt over the result. In fact, I'm probably surprised it wasn't by more. Um, Chelsea almost a carbon copy of the the performance they put in the week before as well. Two goals before half time. Quite happy not to pack up camp, but just to take the foot off a little bit. And obviously, Sammy snitching one either side of half time. But, you know, it was the culmination of an awesome season and again, well coached, remembering that Man U sat on top of the table for almost the entire season until two weeks to go. And um, Chelsea obviously had a game in hand and, and won the midweek game and then the weekend game. And it put them on top with two weeks to go. And you know, Manchester United did everything they could, they, you know, winning the final game, but it was never going to be enough once Chelsea, I think, got a sniff that they could take out yet another title. And hats off to Emma Hayes because I think it's like her sixth title in um, 11 or 12 seasons. And, um, yep, they've just they've got the investment, they've got the players, and, um, and again, they've got the rewards. 
Mark, you've been on the scene in the WSL for this run to the finish line. Do you think we celebrate Chelsea's achievement enough or is it still tinged by the fact that they weren't able to win the Champions League and that is the trophy that's missing in the trophy cabinet? Are we are we judging them too harshly because we look through the, the lens of they need to get it done in Europe or can we take the time to appreciate that they have been phenomenal in the domestic game? I, I think it's a, they're, they're a bit of the suffering from the syndrome like Manchester City does, right? Where you kind of, you're expecting them to win the league league um you know Chelsea were going for their fourth consecutive uh WSL title which they obviously accomplished on the weekend um Manchester City I think was at three now Premier League titles so we we kind of look at it and go well they win domestic cups they win the the league and yeah but they didn't win Europe so therefore they haven't quite reached those those heights um but no look I I think this season was the probably one of the toughest for them I mean Emma Hayes spoke about it after the game um, you could see on Sam Kerr's uh, with, with the interview I had with her as well how how exhausted she was and how she mentioned about how tough the season was. The the, t- the league's becoming more competitive. Man United, the fact that I don't think anyone probably would have given um, Man United hope to have been in contention going into the last game of the season at the beginning. Um, so I think uh, the fact that there, there are more teams now competing for the title has made it that a little bit more difficult. So I think this one is... Also, judging by the response, uh, the reaction of Emma Hayes and also Sam was probably the toughest and probably the most satisfying in, in so many ways. And I think we we have to acknowledge that it was a, a remarkable accomplishment, I think, from Chelsea once again. But Izzy, what is the missing piece or what are the missing pieces? Is it personnel? Is it tactical? What is it that Chelsea need to get over the hump in Europe? I think it's the depth. I think the problem with the women's game right now is just the the depth in those squads and the number of players. Uh, Emma Hayes has recruited extremely well and she always has in the last few years, um, helped by their success with silverware. But going into Europe, the the difference is if you're playing the Conti Cup, you're playing the FA Cup, you're playing WSL and staying in that title, and then you're playing in Europe and you add that all together, the, they just need those extra numbers in that squad. Um, so I think that's the only way they're going to get there. Um, just because they do play so much football. I know obviously the other Europeans teams do as well, like Wolfsburg's and um, Wolfsburg and um, Lyon and Barcelona, but um, there still just needs to be that, that depth. And I think that's the problem that uh, Chelsea has not adapted to yet, especially when there are injuries. I think also one of the other things is when you look at, say, Barcelona, it is really only one team in Spain that's going to win the league. And they could probably rotate quite a lot because they are so much better than anyone else in um, in the league over there. In Germany, it's a little bit more competitive. Obviously, Bayern Munich uh, women won the title uh, last weekend. They pipped uh, Wolfsburg, which was a little bit of a surprise. But then, obviously, Wolfsburg have been in, in, the, in the run to the Champions League final. So um, I, I also think that uh, the, the competitiveness now of the WSL is one where it needs to get the squads need to get bigger the depth like uh like isabel was saying there, the, the depths need to be bigger i also think emma hayes if she could do that game again the first league against barcelona again i think she would tactically approach it differently um and i think she got that possibly wrong i, I agree with you Schwartzy. i agree with you there were some interesting interesting choices made uh throughout the season especially when it came to champions league and i, I really just think it's a, the team didn't seem to click as quickly this season either as it has in past seasons, and I think that played into it early in the season, including that result, obviously early on in the WSL. But um, it's about it is about squad rotation. It's about keeping players fit, um, and now it's about finding a new centre back. 
as well. Well, on player movement, Manchester City said thank you and goodbye to Hayley Razzo a couple of days ago. Izzy, uh, the connection to Real Madrid has been burning along for months. How long until we see Hayley Razzo holding a Real Madrid shirt? I think it's very soon because the, reportedly she is going there just for her medical and then um, once that's given the all clear, the the contract's been signed. And not to be an Instagram stalker, but her Instagram yesterday said that, you know, they thought flights through, she said she, everyone thought flights to Europe were, were really easy and short compared to the flight from Europe to Australia. And she said she'd had four delays or something like that, 14 hours. So I don't think she's going home yet. I think she's heading there. And as far as what it means for Manchester City, I know that they've had a strong Australian connection uh, over the last couple of seasons, but they're out of the Champions League. And is this really the effect of missing the Champions League, that instead of staying at what we all believe is one of the top clubs in the world, that Hayley Razzo would take the opportunity to leave and and go to Real Madrid? Um, Yeah, I think obviously with the, the chance to play European football is something that you can't miss out. But the other worry that we do have is, um, Lax, what he was saying, the the depth over there in terms of the 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 level that they play at is a bit different. So even while she will play in Europe, the possibility of um, playing minutes is obviously going to be a thing for her over there. But the difference in the level of the league uh, in terms of the distribution between all teams is going to be a lot different to the WSL, I think. So it'll be interesting to see. No, I think a city would be super disappointed with their season and that they never really got going. They they competed in the WSL, but I don't really ever think throughout the season they showed any intention of winning the WSL. So for them, it was disappointing. With Russo leaving, um, I actually think this is a really interesting but also a great move for Haley to be able to test a touch. Like um, she works so hard, she's so speedy, she's tenacious. They're her strengths, and this will be a really good test. Um, the minutes will be questionable, but let's be honest, they were questionable for some of the season for City as well. I'd love to see more players trying different leagues, different styles of football, different coaches in different environments. And I think that's what this is about for Hayley. Yeah, I, when, I, when I spoke to Hayley, um, caught up with, uh, with them at the, uh, the camp before the England game, she talked about a frustration of not having enough game time. And I mean, even though she's made 16 appearances in WSL this season, a lot of those came off the bench. So she she was clearly frustrated with it. She loved the training. She talked about that's the best training she's ever had. Like the coaching, the training, the intensity, the level they were training at has been the best she's ever ever had really at a, at a club level. Um, so from that perspective, she loved it. But the, the fact that she wasn't playing enough game time on weekends was the biggest frustration for her. So it's no surprise for me that she's moved on. Well, let's stay with some of the Matildas that might be on the move, possibly even back to Australia. Izzy, uh, bring us up to speed on some of the other names that are either coming off contract or coming to the end of loans, and now their futures are up in the air at the end of the club season. Yeah, well, we had Alana Kennedy sign, obviously, so she was coming to the end of hers, but she's going to be at City until the end of 2025 or July 2025 and that. But then we have Kaya Simon at Tottenham, so obviously not a great time for her, and Emily Gilnick as well. Um, both of them injured. They've both been at their clubs, so Gilnick at Aston Villa and... Kaya at Tottenham since 2021, so both injured. So it's a really hard time for them. Um, The World Cup might not – will probably be too soon for both or at least Kaya. Um, I know Emily Gilnick's been back in the gym, but um, the reality is both of them kind of need 
uh, will needed to be playing to make sure that they could secure their contracts. So it's going to be really hard for them. And then we also have uh, Courtney Nevin, uh, her loan at Leicester. She did the, helped them avoid relegation. They were on zero points heading into 2023 and then somehow scraped together 16 and avoided that relegation, which is very impressive. But her loan uh, was due to end from uh, the end of the season. So it'll be interesting to see if she goes back to Sweden with Hammerby. So plenty to watch in that space, especially some of those Australian free agents and will they stay in the WSL or will they find new homes? Amy, speaking of big players out of contract, your beloved Manchester United, I know we've spoken about this when Arsenal put in the transfer bid for her, tried to break the world record, Alessia Russo. It seems like she is gambling on herself with this World Cup and still hasn't signed a contract. So will Russo be in the red of Manchester United next season or will she make a big move? I, I actually don't know, Teo. I, the thing that scares me is obviously the ownership situation in this and whether they're willing to invest, whether, you know, oh, she's going to go into the market. Let's keep let's keep it real. She's going to test the market. She's going to see where the money is. She's going to see who wants her. If she's smart, she'll bring that back to Manu and say, well, this is how much I want to stay. And, you know, they finished second in the league. And I really do think there's no point her going to Chelsea. So <laughs> she might as well try and get um, Manu some silverware. But uh, she's she's going to play the market and she's going to try and attract the dollars. And to be honest, I don't blame her. I'm I'm pretty certain she's not going to stay at Manchester United and she'll end up at another club in the WSL. That's all I'm going to say. You seem to know where. I do. Come on, Schwartz. I do. Yeah, I do. But I don't. You know where? There, there no, is, you're breaking there, hearts all around there, the world. There is a. Come on. There is a. Uh, it, it's been mentioned in the press, so there is a pretty badly kept Strong secret. Rumor. Yeah, there is pretty bad. Badly, badly kept secret of where she'll end up. And I'm pretty sure that's where it's happening. Well, Izzy, you're in the press. Where's Alessia Russo going? Well, the latest was actually that she's going to stay at Man United because they the problem was allegedly the length of the contract. They wanted to lock her in like they did with Ella Toon until like 2026. Um, but is she going anywhere? I mean, 2042. <laughs> if she's going anywhere, it's got to be uh, Arsenal. Arsenal need that striking power. Um Chelsea don't really need it. Where's she going to play? <laughs> Schwartzy looking around the room like he's hearing some voices. <laughs> I, I, think you're, I think your internet, Can you no, his internet's breaking up on us. Um, yeah, must be, must be. That makes Arsenal a very interesting club. One thing that you wanted to raise is how they're going to stagger all of their players coming back from long-term injuries because it, you need a team and you need 11 to go out and play, but they might end up, end up overstocked assuming all their players actually complete their rehab. Yeah, so they're going to have, they've got four ACLs and they all did them at very different times of the season, except for Beth and um, Beth Mead and Vivian Miedemar. Um Beth was first, I think hers was in November, then Miedemar was end of November, maybe early December. So they're going to have a, that little bit at the start where they don't have those two back again, um, unless they're doing it within um, the before, yeah, within 12 months. Otherwise, then they've got Leah Williamson and Laura. Weinreuther, I hope that's how you pronounce it, um, coming back as well. Both of those did theirs right at the end. So it'll be interesting to see. And then they've got Kim Little as well um, with her, I think it was her knee as well, or a hamstring actually, hamstring. So it's all going to be staggered back. So it's like, what do you do in the transfer window? Do you recruit or do you just like hold on and hope you make it back to when these guys are coming back into contention? Sounds like you recruit Russo to put up front to play alongside Caitlin Ford and you go and really give the title a shake. That's what it sounds like. <laughs> well, fascinating WSL off-season coming up. But one big-picture question I wanted to end with uh, for each of you, 
and that is with crowds up, uh, with the season length only at 22 games, with English teams again making the semi-finals of the Champions League, but no English team featuring in the final. What big picture change would you like to see in the short term to improve the WSL? Isabel Coots, you knew this question was coming, so give me your wish list. What would you like to see improved in the short term to really lift the WSL? I think the key one is just getting more of those fixtures across into those larger stadiums. Um, we've seen that that's going to happen with Arsenal, um, and we've we've seen this season they've moved some of those bigger ones in. But when they move them in, there's also another part that needs to come with that, and that's that advertising of that happening um, because – if you just drop it in there and say, good luck, it's not going to be there. If you're building a brand, you do need to invest to make sure it's not a double-edged sword. Um, so I think realistically, moving into those bigger stadiums with the marketing to go with it, like they did for those um, bigger games this season, um, is going to make that a reality for us. So I wrote down four words, Tay. I wrote, share the stadiums, invest, attract, and deliver. So 12 teams, 22 rounds. We need to lengthen that out just a little bit. I think we all agreed in the studio on Saturday night that we love first past the post and we don't have that here in Australia, but we love first past the post being rewarded for, uh, you know, awesome output across a, a lengthy period of time. This league where it needs to improve is the lower table teams need investment um, there is a massive difference in this league between the top four, five teams and the bottom. And we're not just talking in the quality of the players. We're also talking in the quality of coaches, the players' facilities, the training environments. You know, we've all heard the stories where, you know, players have come across and said some of the facilities that some of those teams are not even as good as here in Australia. And there are the standards, I guess, is what I'm asking for. The standards from a regulation perspective need to improve. But completely agreeing with Izzy, they need to share these stadiums more. They need to invest more and they need to um, continue to deliver the exciting football and the great goals that we're seeing. Schwartzy, top of your wish list for the WSL? Um, I agree with... Alessio Russo to Arsenal. <laughs> I agree with everything that's been said. Um, I, 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 think, I think ultimately we, we see the, the improvement of the league. The competitiveness is, is getting better. I mean, Aston Villa, Rachel Daly, where she came from this season, you know, highest ever goal scorer in the WSL for, a, for, for an English player, uh, the amount of goals that she scored... Uh, was it 22 in 22 games, which is phenomenal. Um, I think the competitiveness of the league is so important. That will drive the game even more. So I think having enough teams winning it, not Chelsea's dominance. You don't want one team to dominate every year. We, I think we need the WSL to be um, across the board, certainly more competitive. That's what, you, what the girls were saying. Um, the investment in the game is coming. Um but obviously, it's playing catch up, um, and uh, I think uh, is it has it has improved massively. Look, two two English teams in the in the Champions League final uh, semi final, which in itself is still an accomplishment. Um, and I think with the more investment, larger squads, more comp competition, hopefully then more teams will get involved in the WSL, and there'll be more games involved. And I think it'll only get better and better. Well, I like all of your answers. I can't believe none of you said more Australians. But I do think that is something that we can maybe look forward to off the back of the World Cup, uh, especially depending on how Australia and England, relatively speaking, go, especially if they play each other. Isabel Coots, uh, thanks for making your Gag and Pod debut. We can read more of your work on the Optus Sport website and app, so make sure all our listeners go and read more of your work. Thank you.
Amy Duggan, always a pleasure. Thank you. And thank you, Schwartzy, for backing me on my uh, team of the season. Pleasure. Absolute pleasure, Amy. Anytime. Yes, a big thanks to Isabel Coots, Mark Schwartzer and Amy Duggan. Don't forget the DFB Pokal final between defending champions RB Leipzig and Eintracht Frankfurt will be live at 4am on Sunday morning, Australian Eastern Standard Time, live and exclusive on Optus Sport. The final day of La Liga kicks off on Monday, June 5, with five matches at 2.30am Australian Eastern Standard Time, and then the five matches relevant to the relegation battle to conclude the season at 5am Australian Eastern Standard Time. And the J-League and K-League seasons continue. See broadcast details on the Optus Sport website and app. Don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and rate us five stars while you're there. It was a double drop this week. If you haven't already heard it, we had an instant reaction show straight after full time of the final day of the Premier League season. I've been your host, Teo Pelizzeri. Thanks for listening to the Optus Sport Football Podcast. This was the Gegenpot. Pod.